podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News, and this week I'm joined by both of my co-hosts again. Hey! Um, I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C., and I'm back, baby. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a D.C. filmmaker, and I never left. (laughs) We took a break last week for Easter. Um, We all had things to do, I think. It was Anya's birthday, actually, so happy birthday, Anya, belated. And, um, yeah, this week we're back with an interesting topic, sort of influenced by a critically panned movie that was released last week, Batman v. Superman. Colon, Dawn of Justice. (laughs) Colon, Dawn of Justice. (laughs) So this movie, which was the much-anticipated movie by Zack Snyder, um, starring Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill, uh, anticipated, I think, is a strong word, (laughs) was critically thrashed um, by both top critics and fans alike. Uh, it has a whopping 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is surprisingly lower than The Room, which is not The Room movie starring Brie Larson, but the one by Tommy Wiseau. Um, it's universally accepted as one of the worst movies out there, the Citizen Kane of bad movies. That has a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, so... That's that's a big feat for Batman v Superman. We should interject, I think, right here to remind people that Rotten Tomatoes is a binary, mm-hmm. like, scale of yeah. movies. Either so, like the whole rotten, fresh. Like, I love Rotten Tomatoes, but like, I think I always feel like it's important to notice that like it's a binary thing and doesn't mixed reviews like, don't really. You it have to really pick a like slims yeah. them down. No, and, agreed. But when you um, have, but at this, but when you have, uh, what is it, seventy one percent of the critics saying that it's negative versus the 29% of people who like it. Mm-hmm. I think that's clearer than when a movie's like maybe 50% or 60 or 70%. Agreed. 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 But it's really funny when you read the the fresh reviews of Batman v Superman, it, it feels like they're still struggling trying to be like overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, they're like, it wasn't that bad, but it was still pretty bad. <laughs> I, the, the great, like... Like summary that everyone who likes the movie, quote unquote, they always start off by saying, "Yes, it had a lot of problems, but get this," and then they go on to why they like the movie. And I'm like, "Well, you should have just stopped there and said, yes, it has a lot of problems.'" (laughs) All right, Batman v Superman aside, this um, is a good introduction to our topic for the episode, um, which is what makes a good bad movie. Bad movie in Air quotes. air quotes. We're doing I'm, air quotes for you listeners. But yeah, um, so what is a bad movie? Like a one that has a, a sort of cult following and still is somewhat enjoyable to watch by a, a group of people, but is still technically and narratively usually just bad. Um, so these movies are like The Room, Troll 2. Um, what do you guys think makes actually just like a bad movie under that definition of bad but good good so 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 bad it's good yeah so bad it's good i think the key thing here is enjoyment and i think that's one of the reasons why none of us consider batman v superman a good bad movie Mm -hmm. is because batman v superman was just bad there was no fun it wasn't even enjoyable Mm -hmm. yeah there was no nothing to enjoy about it it was just too broody there's a new layer of bad you have to have fun which is why the room is a good bad movie because 
it's so bad that you can mock it and there are midnight screenings and you can quote it and it's hilarious because it's like how did this movie get made and it did and now it's this huge thing and it's just so hilarious because it's so bad and like that's I think it you have to be able to enjoy it mm-hmm. yeah there's like a special B movie quality I think to these good bad movies where they have you know cheap effects just like this really grand cringeworthy dialogue um it's not just like bad writing it's bad writing on another scale it's like rocky horror picture show yeah like where it's just so like fantastically weird and awful that that combination but here's an interesting thing about rocky horror picture show i think everyone can kind of agree that the room is a bad movie Mm -hmm. we all agree that it's badly made Mm -hmm. and it's just not a good movie the people who like Rocky Horror Picture Show genuinely like it and genuinely think it's a good film. Like, they're not saying, like, it's a bad film, but I still love it. Like, they're saying, no, it's a good film, and I love it. So then you have, now you have this, like, extra level of, like, bad movies. Yeah, there's, like, different subgenres of bad movies, I think. So there's the kind yeah. that um, present themselves solely, like, as these weird, absurdist, bad movies so you have, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show. You have the Sharknado films by Sci-Fi. They have, actually, Sci-Fi is just, like, whole repertoire of weird, bad movies that you can just love to hate. They've taken the 50s sci-fi movie of the 50s and tra- transported it into the modern age with science fi- with computer-generated effects. Mm-hmm. And ba- they basically make the same type of movies. Mm-hmm. And then you have the movies that are just, like, technically bad and... Um, didn't maybe have the resources or, like, that had, like, some weird miscommunication thing going on, uh, like The Room and Troll 2, which weren't didn't set out to be, like, bad movies, but they just kind of had, did what they could with what they had and were just like, eh, this is enough, and somehow they transcended into this other level of badness. <laughs> so do you guys like Rocky Horror Picture Show? Mm, I've seen it on and off. Or not, I've seen it on, like, net, when it was on Netflix, and then I saw it when it was, like, I went to, like, a midnight screening of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the first time I saw it, like, on Netflix, it was like, well, you know, what's the point of this? And then I saw the, the screening, and I saw what the point of it was, and then I still didn't really like it. I enjoy it. I have, I have an affection for those kind of cheesily bad movies that you watch together with a bunch of people drunk at a sleepover. And it's, like, midnight, and you're like, what are we doing watching Earth Girls Are Easy on Netflix? <laughs> Which, by the way, is hilarious. Starring Jack Goldblum. Like, <laughs> I feel like Rocky Horror Picture Show only works as a midnight screening. Mm-hmm. Like, it only works with an audience. Um, but I'm remembering on the podcast The Canon, they put Rocky Horror Picture Show up for one of their episodes, and Amy Nicholson defended it like genuinely defended it as in she enjoys watching it alone in her apartment Mm. like not necessarily at a midnight screening and that it still holds up as just a movie and not an event and so that's that's the interesting thing for me is that like I'm like this movie is bad like Mm. you watch it and it's bad but then it's like and of course it's unfair to say all film is subjective there's no such thing as, like, a wrong opinion when it comes to film, because it's art. Right. Everyone can react to it the same way. So if someone says Rocky Horror Picture Show is genuinely good, that's their opinion. 
<laughs> but I'm sitting here and I'm like, but like, watch this movie. It's not good. And so that's where this interesting divide comes, I think, in bad movies. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if there's, there's like, this weird sort of intention with the, like, absurdist quality that Rocky Horror brings into it. Like, kind of this almost Daist type of humor that it brings in. It's like, it doesn't make sense, but it's more enjoyable in the fact that it doesn't make sense. Like, it goes from one plot point to another, and they're not connected, and they're, like, these random characters who come in, um, and they just, like, have no introduction to the plot. But still, there's, like, an intention there. Um, and I feel like there is some, a sort of, like, another level of commentary from it, like, talking about sort of B-monster B movies and weird musical numbers that preceded it. So... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of cultural context going into Rocky Horror that makes it a better movie from intent. Yeah, and like despite my not liking it very much, I think mm. there is interesting stuff you can extrapolate from Rocky Horror mm. in the way that you can't extrapolate anything interesting from like Sharknado or The Room. Like those are just purely bad films. Yeah. Like whereas Rocky Horror, I feel like there is room for something another more layers in the film and so like that's where that like you were saying subgenre of bad movies like rocky horror has i think more depth to it mm -hmm. even if i think it's a badly made film and i actually would disagree that it's a badly made film because technically it's made fine um technically although i th see i think the pacing in rocky horror is terrible maybe it's because i went in expecting that kind of movie so I have like I have more leniency for Rocky Horror because I think it's actually like not like a great film, but it's a good solid film that see? is see? enjoyable. You go. see, like this is the the difference in opinion. I like these kind of films that sort of just like embrace the the ridiculousness of their premise, and I think that's a different sort of genre um, that maybe not won't appeal to everyone. But I think that it's a respectable genre, or like actually like. It's not that far off from, for example, satirical films. Um, one satirical film, for example, that we all really enjoy um, is The President's Analyst. And I feel like I'm not going to compare Rocky Horror with The President's Analyst, but I feel like there's not too big of a jump from Rocky Horror to The President's Analyst in terms of, like, plot continuity and absurdity. Well, I think... Yeah, the, and I, I, I think, think the thing, President's Analyst is more fun to me. Like, yeah. Rocky Horror is really fun for, like, the first half, and then the last half just loses me. And it, I think the president's analyst is, it's like clear from the beginning that it's going to be a satire. Mm -hmm. And I think that, it, you know, it was made with that intention. And, you know, it's a satire on 70s conspiracy films. So conspiracy films are always already very stylized. So if you take that and make it a, like a parody or a satire and that you bring it that like level of self-consciousness to it, you get this, like you said, absurdist, sat a uh, movie mm -hmm. that um but it's i think it, because it knows that it's so absurd and so ridiculous i like it better and i think rocky horror does that but not to the extent that like satire does see like what what do you guys think is the difference like what differentiates a weird kind of ridiculous satire versus a bad sort of self-aware movie like rocky horror I think execution. I think I, I think yeah. at, at some point you have to uh, like 
the technical execution of the film matters. Um, and if what the, I know we, we, we were talking about this two weeks ago with authorial intent that, uh, the, what the author wants, I mean, we can throw that out the window, but we could also say, well, this is what they were going for. So it's hard to tell sometimes, but I think that you could, but there, it's obvious when technical executions, like the pacing, like you said, uh, when that gets weird or, you know, when something is like technically off, I think that's where the distinction is made. I think also um, going along with that is momentum. Um, President Analyst never really loses momentum for me. Like, it keeps that absurd, satirical humor going, like, the whole time. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm just along for the ride. And then I watch Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it's really fun. And then you hit that dinner scene. And the movie just slams to a halt for me. And the rest of the movie just drags so much. Do you think that something like suspension of disbelief also factors into our enjoyment of these movies or like the kind of differentiation between these Mm -hmm. movies? So I think that like, I feel like with a better made film or a straight satire like President's Analyst, you still can follow the plot and you have that suspension of disbelief still. But I feel like bad movies just kind of crush whatever suspension of disbelief you have and like throw it against the wall. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. And then there's movies who like, have a budget and, like, don't intend to be bad, like Batman v Superman, but still end up being a very badly made film, just so poorly made. I think... I think with a $250 million budget. You have to, like, ask yourself at one point, you know, with, when bad... When, when there are bad movies, like, made, do you, like, you have to ask yourself, do they know that they're making a bad movie? Mm. And, like, th- throughout the process... Like, I've made a couple of short films, and we kind of like we always have to stop and ask ourselves like you know is this correct like are we doing this right um obviously a lot of it comes down to the editing too because of because of that's that's how the finished movie's made but character and motivations you have to ask yourself you know what's going on with the script where where's the plot moving like did henry cavill and bat and ben affleck ask themselves what the hell are we doing why are they fighting what's the point of this like that's, I think, what happens with when you have a good bad movie and a bad bad movie. That's you know, we have, we're using a lot of adjectives. A, a movie that's so bad it's good versus a movie that's just so bad. So um, I think another another element is personal attachment. Mm-hmm. There are people, you know, a lot of the defenders of Batman v Superman. Their defense is this movie was made for comic book fans. It wasn't made for you. Which is a terrible argument, by the way, because film critics can also be fans. Yeah, yeah, and also Zack Snyder totally ripped apart any semblance of uh, the com- comic book Batman and Superman that we loved as yeah. well. So, like, so. I'm a huge Superman fan, and I I hate Zack Snyder Superman. So, but there is that level of personal attachment, and this was an interesting thing I wanted to bring up was nostalgia mm-hmm. in bad movies. So, our generation, and I know this was huge for me. Our generation really loves Steven Spielberg's Hook, which is one of my favorite films. Like, it means a lot to me, mostly because I have a very, like, deep emotional attachment to it with my dad, because my dad's the one who introduced me to Hook, and it was kind of our movie. And, like, I grew up with my dad, like, saying bangerang a lot and stuff like that. And, like, so Hook means a lot to me. And I remember when I learned as I got older that people consider it one of Spielberg's worst films, 
and that Spielberg himself doesn't think it's one of his best films, like, I was heartbroken. And now I realize, having studied and able to watch films more critically, that it's not the best film in the world. But I still love it, and I'm always going to love it. And I don't mind if people don't think it's a well-made film. Like, that's the other thing about these kind of films, is, like, people getting, like, so defensive of them when it's, like, just enjoy it. Like, don't yeah. get into these fights. Like, whatever. Yeah, like, subjectively, like, they're not good. Exactly. And, like, Hook, I love Hook, and I don't think it's as bad as people say, but I see the arguments for it not being a great film, but I still love it. So... What do you guys think about, like, nostalgia with bad films? I think it definitely plays into it. Um, Space Jam is <laughs> a, yes. a, a great movie when you're five years old, a ridiculous movie when you're 15, year old, 15 years old, and a great movie when you're 24 years old. <laughs> because at 24, you can start, you can drink. <laughs> like, I think that the Space Jam movie... It, like I, I, I bring this up because, like Rocky Horror, I went to a midnight showing of it at East Street Cinema, mm. um, and it was one of the most enjoyable experiences in the cinema because everyone was drunk, and everyone was like following along to the movie and making like snide jokes about it. But I think, and I think it comes down to personal nostalgia when it comes to some of these because I love Space Jam. I, I I'm considering buying the five dollar Blu-ray just to have it. Um, but I all, I, rec- I recognize that it's, like, a weird, weird movie. And, like, the, like, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I like it. But I, but it's kind of, kind of bad. My mom hates it. My parents <laughs> don't like it that I, that I like it. Because it's, like, you know, like a bad movie. It's like, why are you watching this shit? Um, but I like it. I don't know. I, and I think that, I mean, I don't want to be hypocritical, but I think that, Space Jam, for when when it was made, is like was a technical achievement because <laughs> it brought Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny together on the screen together. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you guys because um, as someone who saw Hook later on, I kind of didn't really feel see the what the big deal was. I was Same. just like, yeah, this is fine. Um, neither of you guys think Hook is the best. Yeah. I didn't see it until Robin Williams died, and I watched it on Netflix. I watched it before oh my that. Gosh. I watched it when I was in high school. Um, I think oh my we were... god! I'm like, I'm having some. I don't know. If, like to me, it I never. Think this can be hosts of a millennial pop culture I'm sorry. podcast. <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, when I growing up, I didn't hear about the movie until I was like in high school. I didn't know it existed. None I of my friends. Yeah. None of my friends watched it, or mm-hmm. if they did, they didn't talk about it. Yeah. Because I never, I didn't, I was, or I think I knew that it was like, oh, it was the movie where Peter Pan grows up and comes back to Neverland. Yeah. And that's what I knew it as. And I didn't know, I also also didn't know Steven Spielberg directed it for the (laughs) longest time. Uh, So I was just like, I thought it was just a movie. And then I, I didn't know there was such like a, like a background to it. And see, this is what I mean. Nostalgia can also play a big role in bad movies. Because like, you guys don't see anything special with it. You guys see it for the kind of overstuffed film that it is. And the campiness, and for yeah. me, it's, like, pure magic. Yeah. Like, those rose-colored glasses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like, the ultimate Peter Pan movie for me will always be Peter Pan 2003, starring Jeremy Sumter and Jason Isaacs. Ha! <laughs> Isaacs. Dang. Yeah. I watched it when I was little, and I had a crush on Jeremy Sumter, and I watched it when I was older, and I had a crush on Jason Isaacs. 
I watched it when I was little and had a crush on Jason Isaac. I watched it when I was older and I had a crush on Jason Isaac. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I had a crush on Wendy. Well, that makes sense. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you on the nostalgia point. I can't think of any like bad movies I saw as a kid and like just completely enjoy without, like, despite it being a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, There's probably some. There's, there's some, yeah. I mean... I unironically enjoy the high school musical movies. Fair. Which I will also defend as being the one of the greats. I will say, it's surprisingly good. I rewatched them all of them again this like a month ago and I was just <laughs> like, you know what? These are good movies. There is a great like arc for each of them. Senior year is definitely the best movie. Mm-hmm. Senior year is the best. But don't don't underestimate the first one, High School Musical. Yeah, it has a good you know. Let's let's just say watching senior year during your senior year of college, especially around graduation, can yep. get a little emotional when they're singing "We're All in This Together" at the very end. Yeah, of a little emotional. Graduation, and they're just oh my god. Yeah, I still think Toy Story three is the most emotional. Like oh, it was a double whammy. Because we were because we were the exact age. Yeah, we were exact age. That movie, I still I can't watch that. I can't think of that movie. That year had like a lot of um, relevant emotional movies for us: High School Musical three and Toy Story (laughs) three. Yeah, which are both great films. So like now we're getting off topic. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) let's talk about the shitty films. (laughs) Uh, So what else do you guys think about bad movies? I have another movie I wanted to bring up, but please bring it up. I think I know what you're talking about. I mentioned this to you guys before the episode, yeah. but I wanted to get it on, like, record. Mm-hmm. So, Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> so, I only saw this movie just recently, just, like, uh, in, just in March, actually, just, like, last month. Um, came out last February, and has a pretty bad Rotten Tomato score. Most critics think it is a bad film. And yet, a lot of think pieces came out about it, especially in terms of feminism and the female gaze and that this movie is for women. And there was that, once again, there was that argument of, like, this movie isn't for critics. Which, it's a weird argument that I don't really like. Like, I get that, like, people don't always make movies, like, for critics, but critics aren't one, like, homogeneous group that are all the same. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that argument either. I feel like it's a big cop-out. It doesn't make sense because critics, their job is to tell you whether they think this movie is good or not to go see it. Mm -hmm. And whether it's, like, something of value. Yeah, and all critics, they have different opinions just like us. Yeah. And, like, there are critics, I'm sure, who liked Jupiter Ascending. And there were a lot of think pieces on publications about Jupiter Ascending and, like, its worth and its value. And... So remember, I had a year of, like, reading those pieces and seeing my friends really love Jupiter Ascending and just, like, really love it for all it was. And I was so pumped to watch it. And it wasn't good. And I see what those think pieces mean. I see what they mean about, like, the female gaze and a movie for women. And I really appreciate that. But at the same time, on the one hand, I want better movies for women. Like, I should have higher standards. And on the other hand... I can see those points while still acknowledging that it is a badly made film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the only one who, here who hasn't seen Jupiter's Ending, and all I know about it is Bees, and also Dog Channing Tatum, and um, Eddie Redmayne's screams oh and whispers. Oh my gosh! How? It's so bad. How? What he, was he doing in that movie? And then he won an Oscar for... Uh, a, theory a, of Everything. For Theory of Everything, like, a month before the movie came out. How? Like... <laughs> when I okay, so I saw this movie in theaters, 
And I walked out of that movie thinking I should not have spent money on that. Um, and I and it's just and it's not because it's not a it, it's not because it's a movie for women or it's a feminist movie. Like I'm all for that. It's like you said, Anya. It's not a good movie. Like there should be better movies with that feminist spin. Like there ha- doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be a bad movie. Like it can. It could have been a great movie. I think the Wachowskis have this issue of of having a lot of great ideas at, at the surface, and then when you get to the nitty gritty of the technical movies, you it get it gets bogged down. I think uh, going into television a little bit, like I think that's the same with their their TV show Sense Eight. Uh, I I think we've all seen a little bit of it, uh, and it has all these great all the great diversity, all these great ideas, but it gets bogged down with the plot of everything. Yeah, so this is one of those cases of, like, it's not intentionally a bad film. It, you know, the Wachowskis had every, like, good intention at heart. The problem with Jupiter Ascending is that there is a good movie in Jupiter Ascending, but you cannot find it with everything they put in that film. It's like they had an idea for this universe, and they came up with all these ideas, and no one told them to, like, cut down. Yeah, they didn't have any yes people saying, or they didn't have, they had too many yes people and not enough people saying, no, don't do this. Exactly. There were so many ideas in this film and it was like, the plot was pretty incoherent and I just, I didn't know what was going on and, like, I feel like every scene they introduced something new to me, like something new technology or a new character or this new, like, rule for their universe. And it was just kind of one of those things where, like, they needed to just tighten their script a lot. Either tighten it or, like, this seems like a movie that's like a pulp novel of, that's like like one in about ten different of different series based in this universe. It seems like, not a franchise, but, like, one, one part of a book one book in a series of of science fiction novels that they adapted that yeah. you know there's like a lot of things that could have been explained in like like a lot of different mediums or different you know it just seems like one aspect of this world um and too much world building and not enough like like it's too there there was too much space opera so would you guys consider Jupiter ascending one of those movies that's so bad it's good or just, like, another, like, Batman v Superman where it's just bad and there's no enjoyable factors about it. Because, like, some of the the weird factors that I've heard about not having seen the movie sounds like it could be enjoyable just, like, how ridiculous it is. It's definitely more enjoyable than Batman v Superman. Yeah. Okay. Because it's definitely not as dour, for one. <laughs> and, like, Channing Tatum, like, his space boots are so cool. I love them. There are, there are some, so there are some good parts to the movie and, and like, the bees thing and like Sean Bean. <laughs> the bees like, are still ridiculous. Like there are ridiculous things that I think you know. There's that meme of like Stefan from SNL like explaining the plot of the movie um, on like a Tumblr post and like how and like basically they explained it like Stefan explains the new club. Yeah. And that makes me want to watch the film. Uh, but the I think I think elements of the film are really ridiculous and really fun to explore. But overall the the, the cohesiveness of it does just not work. Yeah, it's definitely enjoyable, but it's not very well made. And th- yeah. it, that's it's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because with like some bad movies, like they're so bad and you're like, all right, you don't you can't make this bad. There's not a good film to be found here. Like this is just a bad movie and I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. 
Jupiter Ascending has these enjoyable moments that end up being really frustrating because you can see that had things been done differently, tightened up, and just kind of a better script, it could have actually been a really great original sci-fi film. Yeah. And they had so many resources going into it. Um, so do yeah. you guys think that like a big blockbuster film by a well-regarded director or like at least a solid, well-known director, could that be a classic good-bad movie? Or is it only re- like, is it simply limited to um, B-movies or like cheaply made movies that are made on like a shoestring budget? Well, I think it has to, it, this kind of ties into our cult TV discussion mm. a little bit where it, a lot of bad, a lot of good movies that are bad, like so bad it's good, um, they're, they're made, they're like the actual B-movies when it comes to budget. Mm. And I think it, I think that matters because I think when you get movies that are going to be, that are supposed to be this tentpole film of the year, like Batman versus Superman, and it turns into a, like, a really shitty film, I think that's one thing. I think another thing is a, a movie you're expecting to be kind of not great, um, that turns that turns up the dial on like the schlockiness and the ridiculousness uh, with the shoe the shoestring budget that it's on. I think that makes makes it a so bad it's good movie because you're pleasantly surprised no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas you get where you're expecting a big blockbuster comic book film. At this point, you're expecting them to be good. Mm-hmm. Back in the 2000s, when you had Daredevil and you had Elektra, you had bad comic book movies, Super, uh, Spider-Man 3, Superman Returns, which is just boring, um, but which I still like uh, for parts of it. But you got a lot of the superhero movies that are starting to get a little bit better, but most of them are kind of, like, bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and But now with the Marvel movies and a couple of other movies that we're, we're expecting comic book movies to be good now, you know? I think there's also an important thing that I've heard people say a lot, and I hold to be true as well, is that people don't go into movies wanting them to be bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't go into movies saying, well, I mean... <laughs> Except uh, for a certain movie that came out last week, maybe. <laughs> um, which sucks, because I do love the DC characters, and I want nice things for them. I just do not think Zack Snyder is the man to give them those nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my wanting it to be bad is slightly because I want it to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Actually, I kind of agree with you, because seeing all the reviews and how like critically panned it was, I was just like, how bad is it? I must know. And I came in like being like, okay, it's going to be really terrible, but maybe I'll enjoy it by like how terrible it is. But even that, it couldn't achieve even that. Mm-hmm. I was like expecting like, oh, maybe something just ridiculous and over the top. I will be like, oh, that's awful, but I love it or something like that. Like way yeah, too that, operatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Batman v Superman is an interesting one because I... I like these characters a lot, and, I, and I'm a Marvel and DC fan, and like mm-hmm. I think there's room for both universes to be great, and I would love that so I can enjoy both of them, but like I just do not like the direction that the DC universe is going right now, and so I'd like to see a change yeah. in that universe. Um, but otherwise, we don't go into movies wanting them to be bad. We like to enjoy movies and like admire what's really great about them, yeah. and so it... I think it does kind of, like, suck when you're faced with a bad movie, but you can never have good ones, like, all the time. Yeah. So, like, from 
personally, do you guys ever go in to see just a bad movie and see it for like the fun of mocking it, uh, like a midnight showing of The Room, for example? Like, would you guys go do that? I went to like a really late night showing of one of the Twilight movies once to do that. It was partially because it was Michael Sheen was in it, and I really like Michael Sheen as an actor, and I was like, yeah, Michael Sheen. I was like, all right, I'll enjoy Michael Sheen, and then I'll mock the rest, and that's exactly what I did. So that was enjoyable for you? Hmm? So was that enjoyable for you? Oh my god, mocking it relentlessly? Absolutely. Even though, like, it's interesting, because Twilight's one of those things where, like, I mock it relentlessly, but I want to also, like, caution that with, these are actually toxic themes in this story. Like, I'm going to be like, yeah, this is hilarious, it's so bad. But serious side note, Bella and Edward are toxic. They're bad. Yep. Yeah, and so, like, I want to caution people of that. But, yeah, mocking it is so much fun. What about you, Willoughby? No, not really. I I don't know. I think it's the filmmaker in me. I don't like seeing technically bad films. Uh, I mean, it's a good lesson in what not to do, uh, which I think there's a a great (coughs) deal of insight for that kind of stuff. Um. I have a professor friend of mine who teaches bad movies in a, in a way of saying that these are big movies that are bad and this is why they are bad and this is how you can make good movies by correcting these mistakes. So I think there's a lesson to be learned in watching bad movies. But as for going to like a midnight showing of The Room, unless I'm like with friends and like, like and like, you know, maybe a little bit drunk, like I'm not going to go in and if, and if I don't have to spend money, I don't really want to you know, give money to bad movies. I don't know. That's just me. Uh, yeah. Maybe at home, like on home video, like get a bunch of friends together to like see it. Like, like you said, like watching like Earth Girls are easy at like some sleepover or something like that. Like something, something along those lines. I would, I would watch because everyone, like if I go, I just, I don't personally, I wouldn't go on like on my own behalf. Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people out there who are like bad movie aficionados and will like seek out movies just to mock them and kind of have fun with these kind of experiences but yeah I only see them I like to see them yeah like in a specific context like with a bunch of people we're a little drunk it's like midnight and we want to see what's the worst movie we can find on Netflix and like a movie you don't have to pay too much attention to Mm -hmm. yeah and they're like more fun to mock than they are to like watch for any sort of critical understanding Um, and it's just like it's kind of like junk food for me. It's just ridiculous and over the top, and you can ch- kind of just like enjoy it for that. Um, I even like the room for me was kind of hard to enjoy because like it just like went really hard with some of those long sex scenes, and I was just like, okay, that's enough, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen the rough. room. Mm-hmm. I'm actually making it a point to not see it. Mm-hmm. I want to see how long I can go. It's enjoyable in a group setting with. A lot of alcohol and like it's it's fun though it's kind of just like one giant plot hole um <laughs> it's hilarious. a lot of it makes no sense and it's just like it's one of those rare so bad it's good movies that goes in wanting to be the best movie ever and actually is the worst and it's like hilarious and how bad how badly it fails um so but never I, watch it alone because yeah like, never watch that's it just it would just be sad it makes yeah. you feel sad yeah you're just like what is humanity I saw Chappie watch it with a group I saw Chappie by myself uh, that was I should luckily I did not spend money I had my own regal I had a regal crown club like rewards thing that said you know a ticket to a free movie so I used that to see Chappie um, 
that's not a good movie. Yeah. But that's a frustrating thing where we didn't like the room we know is really terrible. Yeah. yeah. Chappie, we didn't want to be bad because it was coming from the people who did District 9, which was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of falls to the wayside. Well, the thing about Chappie is that it's three good movies sliced in together. Mm. And that makes it, but it's like the best parts of each one, but each each different movie is a different movie. Like, there's three different plots going on. Like, he could have made a movie about one one part of it, another part, and another part. But he, Neil Blomkamp, Neil Blomkamp, like, splashed them all together, mm-hmm. and it's just this really, like, in- indecisive, incohesive movie that's, like, one part nature versus nurture, the other part artificial intelligence, the other part RoboCop. It's mm-hmm. really weird. So I think if we could make, for example, a checklist off of what would be a so-bad-it's-good movie, um, it's a movie that fails spectacularly. It's not just a movie that's like, oh, it's okay, or like, oh, it was bad, but nothing else to say about it. Um, it is a movie that uh, has operatic sort of bad dialogue and um, bad plotting. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Nicholas Cage is in it. <laughs> <laughs> that always elevates yeah. it. Um, it kind of just throws your sense, your suspension of disbelief and kind of stomps on it until it's beats its head in with beats a baseball head in bat. The bat. Yeah. Um, anything else that you guys want to add? I think to make it a, a, a so bad it's good, I think there has to be just a, a level of cheese that's just graded over everything. Mm-hmm. You have to be able, I feel like you have to be able to quote it or, like, reference it. Like, I can't really, like, quote Jupiter Ascending, but I can, or I can quote one line, I can do the quote the whole, like, I love dogs. That weird moment. Uh, but I can just say bees. And, and I, I would, think, a, of, I would bees, think of Arrested Development. That's for me, too. Like, whenever someone would say bees in, in reference to Jupiter's ending, I'd be like, bees? No, same. No, same. Bees will always make me think of um, Arrested Development even more because that's a way better use of bees. Yeah. Um, but if I say bees can sense royalty. Yeah. So weird. And that Sean Bean himself is part bee. <laughs> See, that's the Real- weird. That's the weirdness of that movie. Yeah, it's just kind of you can't believe it. It's just so ridiculous and absurd. Um, so yeah, anything else you guys want to add about bad? So bad, it's good movies. Um, movie that's being panned, like more power to you. Like you enjoy that film. <laughs> that's what I want to say. I want to say people can enjoy what they want to enjoy. People can dislike what they want to dislike. And at the end of the day, it's okay. Yeah. All right. That was a good discussion. Good discussion, guys. If you guys have any thoughts or do you want to make any comments about good, bad movies or so bad it's good movies, let us know on our social media. But before we get into that, uh, let's go to the last part of our segment. Last segment of our episode, I'm sorry. Donnie, do you want to introduce? All right. So our last segment, as always, is we really, really, really like you and it's what we're enjoying this week. So... I think I will go first. Okay. Please do. So, I am really liking Harry Potter. Yeah! Because I am currently doing a reread of all seven books, and it's just bringing me so much joy. I've actually, I realized that I've read individual books here and there, like, over and over again. I've read Prisoner of Azkaban so many times. Um, But I haven't read all seven in order since they were published. Hmm. So I've never done a full, like, reread. 
And I was like, it has to happen. And it's great because I'm noticing new things as I'm older. And I feel like I'm going to get a lot more of the politics better, like, as a whole series, um, now that I'm older and everything. It's a bit tough right now because I'm on Chamber of Secrets, which is my least favorite. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And so, like, I'm not really struggling through it because it's really, it's one of the first books that so it's pretty easy to get through. But on the one hand, it's hard because it's my least favorite, so it sort of drags for me. And then Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite. So I'm, like, eager to get to that one, but, like, I'm still stuck in Chamber of Secrets. Um, but it's just great being in this world again. I really, like, I I feel like as I've gotten older, like, I've talked about Harry Potter less, but make no mistake, Harry Potter is still one of those things that has hugely influenced me and is one of my favorite things in the entire world. So, I love Harry Potter. Number one in all of our hearts. Yes. Well, maybe um, not Willoughby's. I feel like Star Wars. Probably. Yeah, yeah. No, it might beat it out. <laughs> um, Willoughby, what is your really, really like for this week? I saw Richard Linklater's new movie, Everybody Wants Some, uh, last night with HT. Yay! It was really, 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 really fun. And just, like, it's it's like a perfect Linklater bro movie, if, to put it in, in, if I had to sum it up in, like, one sentence. Uh, it's got, like, all the trappings of, like, a Dazed and Confused. Like, they, they're marketing it as the spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, and it works in that way. Um, it's about a college baseball team in 1980 uh, from the point of view of two fresh, two or three freshmen who are coming into this world. Um, and it's just basically them during Welcome Week just going to different parties and just, you know, getting to know each other, getting to know the team. And, like, they don't play baseball for, like, the first... 90 minutes of the film, which is hilarious. Um, and there's a couple of, like, classic Linklater talking scenes that are just, like, two characters, you know, just talking things out, um, which is great. Um, I really loved it, and I think that people should see it. Yeah, I saw it, and I was really... I loved it a lot, too. Um, I'm a huge Linklater fan, despite not having seen Days and Confused. I'm sorry. Um, I'm my, The four movies are, like, my favorite movies. And I also really love Boyhood, which came out two years ago. Um, and I loved uh, Everybody Wants Some because I felt like it felt at, at equal turns like a college movie but also a Linklater movie, but neither really clashed with each other. It was kind of informed by both of those types of, like, tropes, I guess but still, like, came out being, like, a whole really it was, pleasant movie. And it was a lot funnier than I thought it would be, which was good. There's not a lot of plot. It's mostly the dudes talking to yeah. each other for nine, for two hours, but... Which is not as not as a, as a hard to watch as you think. It's very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. And very easy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a character named Willoughby, and it's crazy. Because mm-hmm. there, there are no characters named Willoughby except for, like, John Willoughby in Sense and Sensibility. So and he's the worst. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But this Willoughby is the best because he's weird and he's, he's like a major stoner and he loves the Twilight Zone and he's I won't say more because it, it, like his character becomes a little bit, a bit of a plot development, but I don't know. It, it, it was really interesting to see that. Yeah. I really like those kind of slice of my slice of life movies too, like which Linklater seems to, you know, specialize in and I like he like every movie of his is kind of just like a snapshot of a certain time in mm-hmm. some in your life and it's like universal it had it has a way of becoming making you feel nostalgic for 
a certain time or age, despite not having maybe experienced everything that these characters experience, but still like make you feel like, oh, I really feel like I can empathize with that or like connect with that. Mm-hmm. And like with all Linklater films, it really delves it. It plays with time, like how Days and Confused is one night, and uh, bef- before sunrise is one night from uh, as well, and then before sunset is literally in a real-time movie, right? Yeah, it's in one afternoon, so two hours. And then um, uh, Boyhood is 12 years, like he took 12 years to shoot it. Um, This movie is like... One weekend. One weekend, maybe like the Thursday, Friday ahead of time as well. Um, And it ends like the morning of Mm -hmm. the first day of school. Mm -hmm. So it's really like, it's classic Linklater, but also really, really great. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to our mini review of Everybody Wants Some. Yeah. So was that your really like as well, HT, or do it you have another one? It was going to be, but I also have another one, just in case. I had a backup, yeah, too. Yeah, we, but... we both had, like, two that we were, like... Gotcha. Um, mine is kind of relevant to our previous discussion about good, bad movies. Um, I recently read The Disaster Artist, which is the true telling of, a, the, of what happened, of the production of The Room. Um, it's told from, it's by Brad Sestero, who played Mark in <laughs> the, the Room. Amazing. Um, and so it has, like, equal parts, um, the story of, like, the, all the production disasters that went into the room, but also Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau's kind of poisonous, toxic friendship. Um, so, like, Greg was basically Tommy's only friend, and then, like, they became, like, this really weird, codependent sort of relationship that Greg was just like, I have to get out of this. But um, he got roped into doing the room and stuff. And it's really interesting. And Tom Gusso is a fascinating character that you could not invent. He's just, like, a real-life fictional character. And it's a really great story about, like, male friendship and with, like, shades of kind of uh, fantastic Mr. Ripley. No, um, talented. Talented Mr. Ripley um, that a lot of like Hollywood, I feel like, has been trying to make fictional stories out of that sort of relationship. But... It actually existed here. Um, so I would recommend it not just for, like, reading how terrible the production of The Room was, but just, like, the fascinating friendship between these two men. Um, and, yeah, they're making a movie out of it, too. Uh, James Franco is adapting it, and he's playing Tommy Wiseau, and his younger brother, Dave Franco, is playing Greg Cicero, which will nice. play into some of, like, the creepy sort of the single white female sort of tension going on between both of them in like the actual story because you know they're brothers um so i i'm excited for the movie and after reading the book which was better than i expected definitely better than the room um i am excited and it was a really great book it's like a memoir right yeah it's a memoir it's kind of like kind of just him talking about his experience so yeah that's my really really like awesome all right so if you guys have any more comments about what we really, really like and what you really, really like this week, let us know. And where can they let us know, Willoughby? We're on Facebook at The Millennial Falcon. On If you search for us uh, there, we're at Falcon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we have a blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. Um, and we're also on SoundCloud. Yeah. Yay! And where can they find you guys? You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. I'm at H. Tranbui on Twitter. And I'm at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. 
Thanks awesome. for joining us, guys. Yay! Bye! Bye. Bye.